following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. So this morning we're gonna, I'm going to take some time and teach you about prayer that works. Now, I think that we all view prayer through our personality. If there was a, a filter that we're using on the subject of prayer, it's really determined by your personality type, the way God made you. I, I think you might be aware of the four personality types. You have the domineering person or the dominant person. That's the person that wants to be in charge and in control of everything and uh, loves to tell people what to do but hates to be told what to do. So if you're the domineering person, then you have a certain perspective on prayer based on what your personality is. And uh, your perspective is probably one of frustration or may even be of discouragement. You may be a person that doesn't pray very often. A, a person that is uh, domineering personality would be Jim Harbaugh. So uh, that, that may be you. Uh, if you're a... Uh, don't you feel sorry for people who aren't into sports that attend our church? I mean, they can't even understand half of what I say. But uh, anyway, that's the way it is. Um, so if you're the sanguine, which is the life of the party, and you're the happy, fun person, and you don't get a lot done, but you have a lot of fun doing it, that's more the Pete Carroll uh, personality type. And you're probably equally frustrated with prayer. Those are two opposites, by the way, because uh, you don't pray very often, but when you do, uh, it's usually out of great need or hurt or something that you're really struggling with. And so you tend to lean toward the 911 type of prayer that prayers only when you're in major crisis. You could be a Sean Payton personality, which is uh, somebody who is creative and analytical and a real thinker. And you, uh, you may be musician or artist or uh, you like things in order. You like you have your whole life uh, segmented into different boxes and none of those overlap. You're the type of person that when you were in grade school and you did coloring, you never went outside the lines. And if you did, then you would cry and tear up your paper and start all over again because you cannot go outside the lines. You're a rule follower. And so for you, prayer is probably also frustrating. Uh, You do pray a lot more than other people do, but uh, your prayer tends to be boring, and there's no life in that. You do like the mystery of it, but you struggle with prayer because you're expecting it to fit a certain formula, and it doesn't. Or you may be the Bill Belichick type of personality where you are the steady person. You're not up, you're not down, You're not frustrated, you're not mad, you're just steady no matter what. When they interview you, you don't say a whole lot. When you don't have very many friends, you probably have uh, one friend, but you are fiercely loyal to that friendship, and you will die for that friend if you have one. You probably don't have any, but if you have one, then you're fiercely loyal to that friend. So there's basically four personality types. We all have a combination of those four, but there's one that's dominant. And here's why I'm saying all this. Because prayer is not something that is uh, like a formula. And anybody who comes up to you and says that, you know, here's the formula for prayer, 
they've just made that up, all right? That's not in the Bible. The way the Bible talks about prayer or teaches about prayer is that it's, it's, it's a mystery. It's an unknown. It's, it's mysterical. It's like a, um, it's, you know, a, a, trying to figure out some sort of elaborate mystery or uh, unknown, something supernatural. Prayer is not very concrete. It's very subjective. We know, we know some things about prayer. We know a lot about prayer from the scriptures. But there's more that we don't know. And you'll have more questions about prayer than anything else. And you can become very easily frustrated. Because for one thing, we don't know how it works. We have no idea how it works. The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know. So we, we say some things and we say them to the sky, and something happens or something doesn't. You have one family, devoted, loving family, love their kids, provide for their family, you know, good, great American people, and their child gets sick, and they pray, 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 the whole church prays, everybody prays, and that child gets healed. And it's just supernatural, and just boom, and everybody celebrates and rejoices, and God did a miracle, it's awesome. You have another couple equally committed to God, equally devoted to God, love their children, love their family, good American couple. They pray, 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 pray for their child to be healed and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And so well-meaning Christians come along and they say, well, you didn't have the right amount of faith or you didn't do it the right way. Or maybe there was something else wrong with you or you had this problem because they think of it like a formula. They think of it like something that we can predict, that we know all about it. We can figure out. And you'll have faith people. Now, I don't mean that in a positive sense. Like ultra faith that say that uh, they take one scripture where Jesus says you can speak to the mountain to be removed and it shall be removed. And they take that and they say, okay, you can apply that to your life. The kingdom of God has come. And so you can speak to anything and it'll happen for you if you have great faith. After all, that happened in the New Testament, right? You had the Roman soldier come and he said, Jesus, speak the word and it'll be done. Jesus marveled at his faith and said, wow, that's amazing faith. I haven't seen faith like that in all of Israel. And so he said to the soldier, it has been done for you. And so they say that uh, that's how prayer works. But the problem with that is, is that's not what the Bible teaches about prayer. The Bible teaches that prayer is a mystery. If God wanted us to understand how it works, he would have told us. He would have made it clear. He would have said, okay, say these three words and cancer will leave. Uh, Kneel on your right knee and raise your left hand and say these three verses and you'll have all the money you need. Now we want to think of it that way. We hope that it's that way. Wouldn't that be great, right? I would just give each of you the right formula for whatever you need. Your life would be perfect. But that isn't how prayer works. There is a great deal of mystery with prayer. Prayer would be, I would say, I would compare it more to like if you're a gentleman here today, 
You trying to understand women. Impossible, right? The best men in the world have no clue what is going on. Okay, how about you women? You think you got us pegged, right? You think you know us guys. You think you know everything. And you don't have a clue either. That's how prayer is. And so I think prayer is more on the line of what your attitude is about prayer and having the right attitude. Thinking about it the right way gives a great deal of peace and understanding and will vastly improve your prayer life, your expectations of prayer and of God and of how this whole thing works. You'll become a better prayer. You'll pray more often. You'll enjoy prayer. You'll love praying all the time. And your, your prayer relationship with God will go deeper and deeper and deeper. So let me just share a few things with you this morning that will really help you with your prayer life. First of all, Jesus encountered this guy who had been sick for a long time, years and years and years. He's walking into the city. He sees this guy there. And he says an interesting thing to him. He asks this guy a question. I mean, everybody's raising their hands. Jesus, Jesus, you know, come over here. Heal me, Jesus. And so he finds this one guy. He goes up to him. Doesn't talk to the other ones. They're all sick and, as well. He finds this one guy and he says to him, do you want to be well? Now, at first glance, it's like, is he playing with this guy? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of cruel. Is he, was he to some test? or what, what, why, is he, why is he asking that question? I mean, we think the answer is obvious, right? Of course I want to be well. Absolutely, that's why I'm reaching out to you. So why does Jesus ask him that? Why does he say, do you want to be well? Because he was looking for a heart response. He wanted to see what the man's heart was. And that was directly correlated to the prayer. The prayer that would be given, it's the same heart. So here's, here's what I think that principle teaches us. Is that when we pray, God is looking for us to have a very honest heart. Very honest Sometimes we, we play games with prayer. It goes something like this. Lord, I really need a new car. Uh, the car I have is, is broken and it doesn't run and I need a car. Lord, would you provide a car? And I'd really like a nice new BMW, but I know you won't do that. I'm going to know that you don't give people that, so... You know, I would, how about a Lexus? No, I, I know you won't give me a Lexus uh, because that's, you know, that's just asking too much. But maybe, maybe I could have uh, the new Mustang. Oh, I know that's, no, that's probably not. You want to, Lord, could I, could I, ha- could I have a Ford? You know, and this kind of thing where you, you know, you, you'll, you'll say something to the Lord like, Lord, um, please forgive me my sins. And in, the, in your mind, you're thinking of which ones you're referring to, but you don't say them, right? Because, you know, well, God knows. And uh, so I hope he doesn't, you know, kind of make a big deal about that or really, you know. So then you kind of move, move along, you know. In your own mind, you're playing these little mental games and skirting around some of the issues. God is looking for an honest, open 
heart. There's no right words to say. There's no right formula. It's just pure honesty. So no matter how impossible the request is, God wants us to ask him for those things. Incredibly, it may sound ridiculous to some people, like prayer that the poverty in our area, this area of Tacoma, that that poverty would be uh, removed, that God would, would answer the, the level of poverty here in our community and the crime, and that would all change because of the work that's happening at our church. Prayer that, that God would cause our church to become a regional church so our little congregation that we've got here would grow and expand and have, have a reach of influence that is regional, that touches a whole region. That God would touch our church in such a way that we would have a massive impact on the spiritual climate of Puyallup. You might say, well, that is really grandiose praying. That's not going to happen. Well, say that to the Christians that prayed for 30 years that the Berlin Wall would fall down. Or say that to the Christians who prayed for year after year after year that apartheid would be removed from South Africa. Or how about the millions of Christians that are praying for the collapse of communism in China and all the suffering that is on the church there. You see, those requests that I mentioned to you those are from the heart of God. Those are things God wants too. He want, does he want our church to prosper? Absolutely. Does he want our church to have a bigger influence? Absolutely. Does he want our church to grow and reach our community? Absolutely. So they're big and grandiose, but they're honest. And they're in agreement with God's heart as well. Of what he would like to see. I sincerely believe that this is God's desire for us to pray with total honesty and openness, an open heart. A child, as a child would pray about these things. The second one is, might surprise you, but it's grief, sorrow, and regret. I believe the Lord is looking for that at certain times and certain occasions when we pray. The Shortest verse of the Bible is John 11, 25, 35, and it just says Jesus wept. So if you want to memorize scripture, you start with that. It's an easy one. Jesus wept. But the whole story leading up to that verse was Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus had died. He died, and both Mary and Martha came up to Jesus with the same prayer request. And it was one of sorrow and regret. Lord, if you had only been here sooner, this would have never happened to Lazarus. Do you know that there are many things in life that can only be seen through the eyes of tears? Jesus said, raise your eyes up and look at the harvest. It is white around you. You know, I think that a true harvest mentality is born in at moments of prayer and groaning for our community and those who are struggling so much in darkness. One or two-thirds of the Psalms are expressions of grief and sorrow and regret. This is a prayer of grief, of a dead-end marriage, and no way out. 
or the sorrow of a parent who has a wayward teenager, or the disappointment of a spouse who, whose partner has no interest in sex or being with them, the regret of a bitter, divided church, the grief of a husband whose wife of 45 years now has Alzheimer's and doesn't even recognize him. God wants us to come to him with those kinds of prayers, expressing our grief, expressing our sorrow, and sharing our regrets. It's something that he looks for in prayer. Let me pause here and give you, if you are part of community groups, then you, are, you know all about the quizzes that we uh, participate in each week, quizzes based on the service. And so I'm going to give you a secret password for those of you who are in community groups and you have a quiz. There it is. Can you read it from there? Dun, 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 dun. Secret password. Okay, there it is. Number three. Confession. I did that for those that are going to listen to the podcast, and now they're going to go, well, he never said it. You're right. (laughs) Kind of like last week. Confession. Confession restores the channel of communication between you and God. See, all these things clog up our relationship with him. They get in the way. In fact, uh, offenses against other people, that gets in the way of any relationship. If you have a relationship with somebody and you're really ticked off at them, they've hurt you in some way, they've done something against you, there's an issue there. It's in the room, right? Maybe nobody's talking about it or mentioning it, but it's still in the room with you. And the same is true with the Lord. You could come to God in prayer, and if you don't, begin to confess all of your sins before God, then you're going to struggle. It's going to end that thing really quickly. Your whole thing will end in three minutes. You'll have nothing else to say. And what's more importantly, you will hear nothing from God because that is in the way. It's blocking the communication and the relationship. So so it's vitally important when you're praying to stop for a moment and Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Now, don't do this if you're just doing it for ritual. you got to mean it, right? Because it's the heart. God's looking for the heart. you got to mean that. So this is what I do. Sometimes I'll sit and I'll pray and I'll say, Lord, these are my sins. Please forgive me for these things. And then I'll say, Lord, is there anything there that I'm not aware of? Or anything that you'd like to talk to me about? And I genuinely sit and listen and wait to hear what he's going to say to me. And I do it with a heart that says, Lord, I will respond to what you say. In other words, I will take responsibility for it. Now, that takes a little bit of faith and trust. First of all, that God is loving and good and he's not mad at you. You have to really have a lot of faith that God is for you, he's not against you, and that no matter what he brings up is not to hurt you or harm you, but to bless you. And so you have to trust him with that and say, okay, Lord, speak to me. And you know what I have found is when I do that, there are many times that there is nothing that God wants to bring up with me, and there are some times when there is something that I have missed that he wants me to take responsibility for. Usually it's with another person or it's a motive 
God will speak to me. Why you did that? What you did wasn't a sin, but the reason you did it was. Because you were doing it to be seen. You were doing it to be heard and to get recognition. So ask God what your sins are and be willing to listen and repent. Next category is faith. Hebrews 11.6 says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Everybody say that with me, impossible. Impossible, louder. It is impossible to please God. Impossible to please him without faith. Now, I think there are two kinds of faith. There's weak faith and there's strong faith. Weak faith is, I'm hanging by a thread, I'm at the end of my rope, I'm not going to make it, I don't even know if I believe, Lord, help me. All right, that's weak faith, that's me, you got barely any left, oh God, please, that's weak faith, but that's still faith. You're still asking him, you're still seeking him, reaching out to him, Lord, I don't know, but I need help. And then strong faith is the kind of faith that Jesus marveled at where he said, wow, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And that's the kind of strong faith that says, Lord, you said it. I believe it. Let it be so. And there are two kinds of faith at work inside of us. And those are both vitally important in our prayer. God, listen to this. God hears every prayer, but he responds to faith. He responds to faith. You want your faith? You know what I do sometimes when I'm not sure about my faith? Is I will say, okay, Lord, I'm asking you for this. I'm trusting you for this in my life. And I'm going to take this step. All right? So maybe it's with finances. You need God to provide for you. You need more money. You need help with finances. You need a breakthrough. Then you take a small step of faith and you plant some seed. Or maybe it's in a relationship and you're praying for God to restore that relationship. Take a step of faith in that relationship and do something. Okay? One small step of faith causes it to grow and to grow and to grow. And the last one is God's presence. Jesus promised his disciples that he would give them a gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit would be God's presence in our lives Literally. That when we have the Holy Spirit, we have the presence of God. He he calls the Holy Spirit the counselor or the comforter because that says a lot about what he does. And so for me, it's just a simple acknowledgement of God's presence in my life and especially when I'm praying. And so sometimes if there's not another chair in the room, I will set a chair out and I will literally say in my prayer, and those of you who have prayed with me, you've seen this and seen me do it and is I'll say, Lord, thank you for being here sitting in this chair next to me. Or I'll, I'll get in my car and I'll say, Lord, uh, welcome. You, you can sit here in the front with me. And I'm acknowledging that I know that God is with me, that his presence is there. And I'll tell you what happens. It's remarkable. This just little thing of, of practicing the presence of God is that when I do that and when I acknowledge God's presence, the hair stands up on the back of my neck. It does. I mean, I, 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 I literally, my, I have a physical re- reaction to it. I sense that I'm in the presence of God. And sometimes I'll just, 
I'll, I'll be, break out in spontaneous worship and just start worshiping God and, or, or, or speaking in tongues or praying in my prayer language or, you know, I have this, this communion with God because I realize in that moment I am aligned with him, spirit, mind, and body, and we are in fellowship. We're in spiritual fellowship together because I'm in the presence of the living God. It's just simply acknowledging the presence of God. So these five little tools, I could probably give you ten more, but I won't for the sake of time. I think relate more to how to pray than any formula you would get or any other, you know, this is what you need to say and this is what you need to do. It's more about what's in your heart. That's what God is looking for. There isn't a right stance for prayer. Sometimes it's good to stand. Sometimes it's good to kneel. Sometimes it's good to lay down. Sometimes it's good to run. Sometimes it's good to walk. It doesn't matter. You see, it's what's in the heart. And I think if you look at it from that point of view and that it's more of a mystery, then you'll have a great deal more success with prayer. All right, let's, we talked about prayer. Let's stand and pray together. So won't you stand up with me? And this is what you call corporate prayer, where we pray all together. And let's go to God and talk to him. Let's practice his presence. So, Lord, I welcome you here this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for being here in the room through the Holy Spirit. Lord, here standing next to me. God, we ask that you would teach us how to pray. That you would make Canyon Ridge a church of prayer. That this would be a house of prayer. That there'd be a spirit of prayer that would rest upon this congregation. That we would become people devoted to prayer, committed to prayer. Lord, I pray that you would open up the heavens. The angels would ascend and descend upon us. The Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us and move us as a church. Lord, that you would impact our lives individually and together. Lord, that you'd give us a heart for our community and for the harvest. That we would see all of those around us and see them for their spiritual value. Not looking to the outward appearance, the outward gestures and words that are spoken, but looking at the soul and seeing the value of the person. Lord, I pray that you would make us people of prayer. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen.